morning we're going to be looking at the, the second reading for our text and our message because I think the, uh, all, the, all the collects and the scriptures all point towards the spalling of the spirit, the spirit falling, uh, also in the gospel message as well. And we see the Holy Spirit is free to come and go where, wherever and however he pleases. He is free to give gifts and withhold gifts. He is free to baptize and seal and fill and comfort and counsel whenever he wills uh, according to his own infinite wisdom. He is not bound to uh, make any of our programs or our liturgies work. He is not constrained to do what we think he should do when we think he should do it. He is God and he is free. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 says that when the gospel came to those people, God bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his own will. According to his own will means that the Spirit is free and sovereign in the way he gives gifts and works his miracles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says the very same thing. All these gifts are inspired by one and the same Spirit who, who, who appropriations to give, who, sorry, apportions to give one individually as he wills. As he wills. Not necessarily as we will, but as he wills. He is free. And so Jesus paints the picture perfectly. He compares the freedom of the Spirit to the freedom of the wind in John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is as free as the wind, Jesus says. You can't see him. You can't control him. Suddenly, he is all around you and within you. You do not make him come any more than you can make or, or can rule the wind. He is free. So let's dive into our text from Acts chapter 10. Uh, because Acts chapter 10 verse 44 says, While Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell as Peter preached on all who heard the word. So before Peter's sermon was over, and before any formal invitation for the Holy Spirit to come, suddenly he was there. So I have a question. I have a, the question I have is this. Is there any correlation between the way Peter preached and the coming of the Holy Spirit in power? I don't mean that, that I don't mean did Peter make him come because we just looked at Scripture and we understand that the Holy Spirit is free. He does what he wants. I'm simply asking, was there something about the sermon that might increase the likelihood that the Spirit would choose to come? And so... It's a question worth pondering this morning. Now, as I ponder this question, and as we ponder the question together, I've concluded that there is a correlation between the way Peter preached and the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. And the clue is realised is realized in what the mission of the Holy Spirit is. 
Jesus told us what the essence of the mission of the Holy Spirit is in John chapter 16, verse 14. He said, He will glorify me. One man said these words. He said, The essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is, and this, or at this, or at any time in the Christian era, is to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Spirit is sent to make Jesus real to people and to show us how he really is in his glory so that we come to love him, we come to trust him and obey him and turn to him and show him to the world. What this means is that the Holy Spirit is more likely to come in power where the truth about Jesus is being lifted up and made plain. The Spirit loves to come and take the truth about Jesus and turn it into an experience of Jesus. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 10. Peter held up the verbal portrait of Jesus and the Spirit came and turned that portrait into a living reality of Jesus himself. And so there is, is there any correlation this morning between the way Peter preached and the coming of the Holy Spirit in power? I believe the answer is yes. The correlation is that Peter painted such a picture of Jesus that the Spirit saw a very attractive opportunity to come and glorify the Son of God, which is what he is appointed to do. That is his mission this morning. That's the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry. So he is very likely to come in power when Jesus is lifted up in truth and made the centre of our focus. So if you want the Spirit's power in your life, I encourage you to make Jesus the centre of your life. Now to be more specific, let's take the rest of our time together and simply dwell on the way Peter focused on Jesus. Let's look at the eight ways that the Spirit will clothe us with power so that Jesus is not merely an idea, Jesus is not merely a word picture, but a living person in our lives. That Jesus would become central, a central person in our lives. So number one, Peter lifts up Jesus as the one through whom God makes peace with his rebellious creation. Verse 36 says, You know the word which he, God, sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace by Jesus Christ. Peter's sermon begins in verse 36 and ends in verse 43, with God as the peacemaker through Jesus Christ. Here we see God offering terms of peace through Jesus he has peace with God, or we have peace with God, only when his anger at us because of our sin is put away and replaced by peace. And that comes through Jesus Christ. So the first and the last thing Peter does is he lifts up Jesus as God's peacemaker. Verse 36 is so clear. God sent good news of peace by Jesus Christ. Number two, Peter lifts up Jesus as the Lord of all. At the end of verse 36, he says, you know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. When God undertook to make peace with sinners and sent a message of amnesty, God did not send an errand boy this morning. 
God did not send a general. He did not send Gabriel or Michael, as some cults and sects proclaim. He sent the Lord of all. God sent good news of peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That's how important this mission was. That, that's, that's, that's why, or that's the way it had to be done. That's who he is. He is the Lord of all. He's not just the Lord of the Jews. He's not just the Lord of the Gentiles, but he's the Lord of all angels, all demons. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is the universal ruler. He is not just merely a local prophet. He's not just merely a tribal deity. He's not just merely a Jewish leader or a Jewish teacher. Jesus is the Lord of the universe and everything in it. He is the Lord of all. And that's the second thing Peter lifts up about Jesus. He is the Lord of all. Thirdly, Peter lifts up Jesus as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. Verse 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. It is tremendously important to say that awesome fact that Jesus is the Lord of all. Jesus being the Lord of all was a man. That's the point that Peter is identifying him as Jesus as Nazareth, of Nazareth. That means he had a hometown. He was known by friends and family then. He worked in the carpenter shop. The Lord of all had become a human like you and I but without sin. And so he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, just like other Christian people need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power in order to do and have extraordinary effect in ministry. And at the end of verse 38, it says, for God was with him. The point is not that he was not God. That's not the point. The point was that as a man, he relied on God. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Lord of all humbled himself to become a servant and to live his life in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, just like we're intended to do. Fourthly, Peter lift up, lifted, lifts up Jesus as a man who was stronger than sin and stronger than the devil. At the end of verse 38 it says, He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. The anointing and the power that Jesus had from God was not given from far away. When the anointing came, God came. Jesus walked with God his Father. When Jesus acted, the Father acted. There, were per there was perfect intimacy between them. God was with him. And because God was with him, and the anointing power of God was with him, Jesus did what was good. Jesus never did bad things. He was tempted to do bad things, just like we are. But the Bible teaches that he always conquered the temptation. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was stronger than sin because he kept such an intimate and satisfying relationship and fellowship with God. The power of sin was broken by the presence of God's joy in Jesus' life. And by that same power, 
he conquered the devil. Verse 38 says at the end, says, He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Jesus rescues people who are oppressed and harassed and tormented and tempted by the devil. And Peter lifts up this truth. Peter wants us to know this and believe it and experience it. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to make Jesus real as a deliverer from the satanic oppression. Number five, Peter lifted up Jesus as a man who was killed in despite of his goodness. In spite of his goodness. Verse 39 says, And we are witnesses to all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. In spite of the fact that he was God's peacemaker, in spite of the fact that he was Lord of all, in spite of the fact that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power and stronger than sin and stronger than the devil and that God was with him, he was hung on a cross and murdered. There was only one possible explanation for this. God must have willed it and sin must have caused it. Some strange and wonderful divine work happened there. But Peter leaves it as a mystery and moves immediately to lift up three final truths about this crucified Christ. The sixth one is Peter lifted up Jesus as alive from the dead because God raised him after three days. Verses 40 to 41 says, But God raised him on the third day and made him manifest, not to all the people, but to us, who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Jesus is alive. He is alive because God did not abandon him, uh, did not abandon his peacemaker in death. He raised him from the dead. He vindicated him and gave him a name above every name so that, so that, so that every tongue in the universe will confess that he is indeed Lord of all, just as Peter has said. So Jesus' resurrection was bodily. He is not a ghost. He is not a mere spirit. Verse 41 says that the, the witnesses ate and drank with him. He had a new resurrected body with flesh and bone. Jesus did not appear in some ethereal realm and leave his creation to the dogs. He took the created world of flesh and bone up to the realm of God and set the stage for the new heavens and for the new earths this morning. Number seven, Peter lifted up Jesus as the final judge of every person in the universe, whether they are dead or alive. Verse 42 says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God to be judged, or to judge, sorry, the living and the dead. So every person on planet Earth will stand before Jesus Christ as their judge. Just as sure as I will stand, that just as sure as I am standing before you right now this morning, every person on planet Earth, whether they are dead or alive, every person that's ever lived, will stand before Jesus Christ as their judge. 
not in any pinstripe three-piece power suit, no Visa cards, no MasterCards, no medals, no trophies, no makeup, no trendy clothes, no trendy shoes, no big long fingernails, no trendy stylish hair. <laughs> just plain old you. And Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, will decide whether you spend eternity, where you spend eternity. And what he decides in that moment, you decide now. You decide now. You will either be condemned justly for all your sins and spend uh, a godless eternity somewhere, or you will be acquitted, pardoned, and received into everlasting joy. But you make that decision now. So what's the difference? Well, that's what Peter lifts up. It's the last point of his sermon before the Spirit falls. He lifts that up. That's our eighth point and our final point. Jesus lifts up Jesus as the source of God's forgiveness for our sins. That's the good news this morning. Verse 43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Before you and I met Jesus as judge, we meet him, even this very morning, as the forgiver of sins, the peacemaker of God. That's how Peter's sermon begins and ends. And if you believe in him, you will receive forgiveness of sins through his name and be pardoned when you stand before him as judge. If you believe in Jesus... And that means trusting Him with your life as the peacemaker of God. That means trusting Him with your life as the Lord of all. That means trusting Him with your life as God's anointed one, full of the Spirit and power. Trusting Him with your life as stronger than sin and stronger than the devil. Trusting Him with your life as the one who died and rose again and lives today. Trusting Him with your life as the one who will judge the, judge the living and the dead. And finally, trusting him with your life as the forgiver of sins. Then you will receive forgiveness of sins through the name and through his name, sorry, and be pardoned when you stand before him as judge. And you make that decision today. This is the Christ that the Spirit loved to glorify. So, my friends, my prayer for you all this morning, for all of you this morning is that the Spirit would come to you and make this Jesus infinitely more than just a sermon you hear on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Father, thank you for your gracious gift that you give to us. Thank you for living inside us through your Holy Spirit. I ask, dear Father, that you will fill and empower all of us by your Holy Spirit, so that we may effectively do your will. Father, pour out your power through the Holy Spirit on all who seek to share your word with those who are lost and those who need to be motivated to action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.